Welcome to the show. I am your host, Todd Dallas-Lamb, and you're listening to On The Clock. On The Clock is a venture with the Strategos Podcast Network, where we feature an array of guests to dive into all things education. We hope you enjoy. Welcome to On The Clock with Todd Dallas-Lamb, and we are so happy to have with us on the show today, uh, Clifford Jones from Fulton County Schools. Clifford, I believe you go by Cliff, is that right? That's right, Todd, thanks. That's great, great to have you on the show. Thank you for joining us to talk about education. Uh, in my mind, the most important topic in America. And you are the Chief Academic Officer of Fulton County Schools, 93,000 students, which makes you one of America's largest districts in America. Uh, Cliff, tell me a little bit about Fulton. You're in the Atlanta area. I know there are a couple of different massive districts within that region. What makes you different from those and how do you fit into the Atlanta public school atmosphere? Sure. Well, the fifth largest district in Georgia, but we are the only non-contiguous largest district in the nation. What does that mean? So, so Atlanta <laughs> is right in the middle of us. Yep. Right. So we have a North Fulton, we have a South Fulton um, and Atlanta public schools is right in the middle with over 50,000 students in, in Atlanta by itself. So when you think about Fulton County schools, uh, we have 14 cities that are within our borders uh, that creates a very complex network of uh, governance partners and uh, partnerships. Uh, we've got 106 schools that include some charter schools. 43% uh, uh, black students, 29% white, 15% Hispanic, 12% Asian, and a 41% uh, free and reduced lunch population. That's gotta be complicated in just communicating uh, to all the various uh, families. I'm imagining you have well over a hundred different languages that are spoken within that, that complex district. And I, I, I find that fascinating on so many levels, but I also, uh, I, I'm interested to know how you have probably had to tackle the pandemic in some innovative ways and, and how you've communicated uh, virtually to all those different uh, families of different ethnic backgrounds. Has, has that been, uh, you, you obviously had that challenge before the pandemic, it had to be intensified since then. Communication on a good day in a big district is difficult, both internally and externally. During a pandemic, when you can't reach out to your community in traditional ways, where you can't show up, where you can't lead with your feet and be in, and hit the ground, uh, has really proven to be difficult. But I will tell you, uh, with, any, with any crisis, there's opportunities. And so uh, opportunities not only now exist that we didn't utilize in terms of whether it be Zoom or other sort of virtual platforms, uh, our parents are now engaging with text with us uh, in ways that we hadn't hadn't done. Social media has been uh, a huge uh, avenue to reaching out to our communities, both for the teachers and for the district. Now, of course, I don't have an Instagram account, but uh, on the sixth floor where I am, I'm one of the few uh, that hasn't taken that on. And that's been a, a great uh, way beyond Twitter, beyond LinkedIn, beyond some of the other traditional platforms that we found a lot of kids and parents have, have been able to, to converse about different, different issues. In the last 12 months, I, I mean, we've read about different districts trying different things and there's been 
you know, the chasm of success rates there. Did, 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 did Fulton County buy any new products to try to, to, to meet this situation or just simply rely on what you had and, and adapt through things that were sort of free, as you say, like social media? Yeah. So we had just gone through a transition to Blackboard uh, right before this hit. Um, and utilizing Blackboard for us has been uh, now a learning curve that we're going deep with. Um, but I will tell you, it's not about programs, in my opinion. It's about people. So we still utilized our people, our network, meeting with those, those key people in the, in, the, uh, in, in the communities to be able to leverage their voice. Um, it became a more frequent meeting cycle. Uh, the pace picked up because the message had to be repeated, repeated, and repeated again during this time of crisis. So um, yeah, we, we did use Blackboard, but I would say it's the pace and cadence that really picked up. So on the communication side, I'm, how did you, uh, how did things change and what, I imagine like any Black Swan event, you guys adapted, found out that there were some things that, that weren't as effective as you thought they might be and, and maybe uh, changed and, and, and I'm guessing, uh, like any black swan event, you found some things that worked and you, you may never change it. What were some of those aspects? Yeah. So we had our first, uh, broadcast of a board meeting on, uh, on utilizing Microsoft teams and we didn't know what we were doing. Right. <laughs> yes. So uh, we just knew that we had to get it out there that, uh, when we transitioned to, to remote and, um, you know, that sort of pacing cadence, uh, sort of took us probably three or four months around how do we get our governance partners and that governance um, uh, theme out into the public in a way that's accessible, that's interactive. How does public comment work, right, uh, in that setting? Um, you know, I will tell you that now we're, we're back in a setting where we have face-to-face, um, uh, -face, but we have more people logging in as a result of that time period, because they now know where to go to get that information. And we're utilizing our Fulton County TV. Uh, we have a TV network uh, that we, we stand up. We're offering uh, liter literacy lessons in the morning and some, some other uh, programming uh, that is educational, but we're also offering uh, updates on what's going on with the district. Uh, and it's a cable TV channel um, and in other ways, you know, it, it's really about our um, use of email, use of uh, networks in terms of our availability. How are we meeting with our public in virtual settings? So our superintendent has meetings with uh, partners, PTOs, teachers, community members. Our meeting list and pace and frequency has, has really exploded during this time. I've over the years heard a lot of districts tell me that they uh, – they rely on email, but only to a point, and that phones, cell phones, are are a key communicator in 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 incredibly incredibly uh, economically challenged areas. Uh, you have forty two percent free and reduced lunch, so I, I suppose you have some folks that are, that qualify in 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 that labeling. How do you communicate with folks? Yeah. What what it, what is the blend now? And I would imagine that you've learned more since the pandemic about communications than you thought you knew and and what what was consistent with what you knew before and, and what's what have you learned let me take you through a scenario and that is when we have multiple cases of COVID at a school when we have to transition to remote 
Uh, this scenario did not exist pre-COVID, is now one that we're pretty good at uh, in the middle of it. And part of that scenario is a toolkit, a toolkit for principals, where you have internal email communication, a call-out communication, a Twitter communication, all part of the same toolkit, a district letter, and a school-based letter. That on top of high-risk, low-risk letters and, um, you know, that toolkit is something that we definitely had in terms of crisis before, uh, but now is something that is really more robust uh, to be able to, uh, number one, I mean, this is, this is serious information, right? Um, and so that we not only provide what the information is, but how they can, they being the audience, whether it's internal or external, can seek more information from our health partners, right? Um, and or more information from us as the educational professionals. If we're going to go to full remote for three days, how are you going to get your education? What's that going to look like? Like, and so, and what's the recovery on the on the other side of it? Um, I, I'm fascinated. You you guys have been open, uh, Maryland. As I I'm here in Maryland, and as we tape this podcast, we we are at the beginning of March, um, and I um, I'm cognizant. We just started school back full time here in Maryland for most counties. I I think. I think it's most counties. I, it could be a few that have held out. You guys have been open for school since October. Is that correct? That's right. So we started the year in remote in August and then uh, phased in uh, uh, four, four phases into full remote. And now we have, all parents have an option. And th this is the really, if we were like on a, a serious, you know, like uh, 60 minutes, I would ask you the big question. The big question Cliff, uh, is what is the, this is fascinating to me, what is the number of, of parents that have opted to put their kids back in and, and, and what is the percentage of students that are staying at home? Yeah, so uh, we've seen it vary. Uh, you know, right now it's about 50-50, but as, as the community spread rate goes up, we allow parents to, to petition to go to a different learning, learning environment, right? So we're sensitive to that. And so we've, si we've seen 60-40 on both sides of it. We've seen 50-50, but it's usually about 50-50 for right now. So, you know, project out, look, look forward to a year from now, if, if you had to guess. And, and by the way, Cliff, um, last year when I was doing some of these podcasts, <laughs> I was wrong on like nearly every prediction. Like I, I thought that the kids would be in school by fall and, and I'm just dead wrong. Um, so you will not be held to task if you're wrong, but I've heard predictions going forward from some chief academic officers and then some former chief academic officers who are, who are still paying attention um, that think that the number of students that are going to stay home and, and want and demand virtual education could be as high as 25 percent. Does that jive with, with your thinking at this point? I think that's a little high, yep. um, but it's that 15 percent mark that um, we kind of are, are, are planning for. You know, every district that I'm aware of in the metro area is now gonna offer a virtual, a totally virtual school, right? They're gonna offer some kind of hybrid learning, whether it be a remote class here or, or some kind of hybrid um, uh, moving into the fall, along with a more robust face-to-face -face option. Yep, and, and through the demographics of your district, which is frankly one of the more, uh, demographically interesting districts I think I've ever seen, 12% Asian Americans, um, 
do you do you have any numbers on which parts of that pie are, are more likely to stay home versus those that are likely to uh, come back to school? Or it doesn't yeah, even so matter. When we talk about averages in Fulton County schools. Below the averages, uh, you really have some extremes, right? So, uh, you know, in our northern suburbs, that that those schools are typically 80% coming face to face and 20% staying remote. Yep. Now that varies by level. What we've noticed is um, a lot more high schoolers are are not coming back face to face. I don't know if that's because the AP exams are now remote or what. <laughs> But uh, in our southern and uh, South Fulton, you know, we do have some schools where it's 80 percent, 80 percent remote. Right. But the law of averages doesn't show that when when I say it's 50 50. Yeah. Right. No but also, I would say that the, the people are really following the trends in their communities. Right. So when I say we have 14 municipalities, they're all they are all communicating their own case rate their own uh, spread rate. And so people are paying attention to that. So what, again, getting back to my black swan scenario, what has surprised you in all of this? Yeah. So when we when we first tilted to remote, right, um, we, we decided very specifically that our mission was going to stay the same. We were going to deliver high level uh, education for all students. We had to change our methods overnight. And to do that, we really had to scale back, right? We had to scale back uh, what we were trying to do so that we could try to get it right. Um, and then we've scaled forward since, since about August. Um, and what we've learned and what surprised me the most were some of the same things that, that sort of were our, were our Achilles heel going into it. It seems like the um, pandemic it has exacerbated the soft spots in the organization, right? Um, and so things like grading for us, very fundamental grading and attendance, right? Uh, those have been really uh, areas of robust conversation that uh, people have a lot of a lot of opinions about. And we've tried to react. We've tried to to you know initially we said we held all grades um, constant. You couldn't. You couldn't go any farther down and you know do any worse. You could only get better. Uh, back in August, then we started doing more robust grading, um, and we really limited it to only summatives. We didn't grade any formatives uh, in the gradebook. Uh, now second semester, and we're back to our normal grading procedures um, with a lot of provisions. But the one thing that has changed and is going to stick is that we decided to be a no zero district. This was the time to change the fact that um, a behavior didn't equal an academic outcome in our district. And so we replaced zeros with incompletes. Mm. I've noticed that that conversation in and of itself and that change uh, moving forward is really uh, working to, to help students. It's a lot of work for teachers. I will admit that uh, there's multiple opportunities um, and there is a drop dead time where you gotta you gotta turn your stuff in but um you know that one change around grading has has really um sort of led us forward and, and been very student-centered i you know i have two boys they're both like they're so different that it made me want to have like 30 kids to just to see what the range looked like um and one of them is just dying not being in school and the other one 
couldn't be more at ease with virtual learning and being on his own. And it makes me think, getting back to the idea of having 30 kids, I'll, I'll never do that, but you have more than, you have 90,000 kids. And I would imagine that there's some of them that are thriving in this environment, being it, well, some that are staying home are thriving in this environment, not, um, not being in a school around people because that's a challenge to a lot of kids. Um, socialization is what we always thought was the great value of, of American education in addition to just learning. But I also think that there's a lot of kids that are quite happy doing this from afar and have a few friends and don't need a billion friends and don't need to be in that socialization. And I also think that you might, you might be finding that behavioral problems are just not even existent compared to the way they are in school because let's face it, um, uh, you know, I got I got pushed around in school uh, you know, a million years ago. There's some kids that probably can learn better on their own. Are you guys? Is it too early to look at data on behavioral um, interactions and interventions that you used to deal with in person and figuring out that there might be some kids that just can thrive from their their, their, their living room uh, in, in an ed education setting? Well, first of all, it's never too early to look at data, right? Yep. So let's just put that on the table. Sure. Uh, we are utilizing our research partner at Georgia State University, and we started looking at some benchmarking, some longitudinal data. It's early, right? But that is really driving some of our resources and differentiated responses to, to where we feel like, and the data says, uh, that we need to, to, to really sort of address the, the learning impact of, of COVID. Now, there also is social emotional impact of COVID. Um, you might hear the term, you know, trauma-based uh, supports uh, because, you know, certain of our students, what we found through our locate, assess, and connect protocol is that when you're not engaged, we've got to be able to figure out what those barriers are, right? And so we have to be able to identify the barrier so that we can address the barrier. Um, and sometimes that means a hotspot. Sometimes that means looking at uh, other wraparound supports from our partners like communities and schools. And sometimes that means looking at some, some behaviors, some behaviors of some of the siblings that you might be responsible for, for their learning while your parents at work. Uh, some of the behaviors might be your peers, right? And some of the behaviors might be your own uh, in terms of responsibility and really logging in and doing the things that you need to do to learn in this remote setting. So uh, we've been looking at the, the academic data over time, the really the growth data, utilizing what, what are, we use already. Uh, so we have fourth through eighth grade uh, data that we've been looking at um, to inform our practice moving forward. But we have also looked at behavior and, and most importantly, Todd, I would say engagement. Engagement, the yellow bus no longer is the lever, right? <laughs> or access point to an American education. That is, that is gone, yep. right? It is now the internet and an access point and a, and a computer. And so how do we ensure engagement in a virtual setting has really sort of been a game changer for us. Okay, so I'm obsessed with the busing system. Are, how much of a challenge, maybe as an academic officer in Fulton County, you may not touch on the logistics of it, but how much of a, with 50-50 students, how are you picking kids up? How did you have to retweak just the, 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 the sheer logistics of getting kids home uh, from home and to home every day when half of them are gone. That had to be an incredible effort to figure out and reroute the busing structure. Well, we run a two-tier bus route. 
right? So this is your academic officer describing bus routes. So let's, okay, let's, fair let's enough. That, yeah. Right. So we run a two-tier bus route, but I will tell you that um, we found that our percentage of remote and our percentage of in-face learning, person-to-person, uh, -person, has allowed us to create social distancing norms and standards uh, that our, our parents are comfortable with, yep. right? So we're wearing masks, just so you know, right? We're offering hand sanitizer on the bus, right? Um, we're, we have seating charts so that we can do contact tracing if need be, right? Um, and we actually are utilizing different bus schedules uh, and stops during this time. Um, but, you know, honestly, when our parents choose to go back face to face, they're choosing the whole experience. And that means lunch, that means transitions, that means buses, that means classroom, right? And they're choosing that knowing that we have modified social distancing, mass requirements, and uh, as best we can, right? We're, 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 we're having all of the, the safety um, provisions that are, that are out there that you would recognize. So last ser serious question of our, of our time here, Cliff, what, what is cool about what you've done? What, what is it about this pandemic that you've done where you say, we ain't going back, we like this? I think it's the mindset, yep. right? And I think it's the mindset of going from bricks to clicks, right? And so we understand that learning truly now is anytime, anywhere, right? And so how can we integrate that into policy? What does attendance policy look like post COVID so that we don't have to worry about, um, you know, an excused absence because really all I need to know is that you're online, you're yep. there. Um, what does asynchronous look like in a post COVID world and how can we integrate that into our, in our learning and teaching structures, right? How do, what does, um, do we really need final exams? Right. What does summative assessment look like in an authentic assessment environment based on on a student centered model? These are the questions that we had to address quickly. And now that I know that the conversation started, uh, the conversations are getting so rich um, and, and just won't be the same. I was just in a uh, at a conference. And, you know, if, if I had a nickel for every time I heard the words learning loss, I. I would be a rich yeah. man. So let me push back on that. Okay. Right. Learning loss is an adult term. Learning impact. Right. What did we lose? Well, we, we lost a lot. If we compare, uh, if we compare going from point A to point B, right, in a normal time, it yep. was not normal. Right. We actually called our learning uh, impact group, learning recovery, learning loss to start with. We had teachers and parents and, and kids all push back and say, that makes us feel like we didn't do enough during the pandemic where we were giving our all. Right. And so, well, I mean, it's funny thing. I, I think that um, for every step forward or step backwards, there's a step or two forward. It's funny that my kid is now doing um, every day has been doing every day, what I've been doing for the last 10 years, which is getting on a call and communicating and learning from others, oftentimes remotely. And that's, you know, that is the future of, of, uh, of this world. And I guess it's possible to say that kids, while they're not 
hammering equations to quite the extent that they used to do. They're learning how to communicate in an incredibly digital way. And there's something to be said for that, isn't there? Resiliency, grit. Um, It's those social emotional um, uh, learnings that this generation of student has really been exposed to that we need to be able to lift up, not as a term of loss, but as a term of celebration that they've made it through this. And they're going to do extraordinary things because of it. So let's we all we we always like to touch base on popular culture just a little bit on this on this podcast. Um, and we did a little bit of a uh, investigation on you, Cliff. Um, you are an acapella guy. Tell me more about that. Um, and I've got a story for you when you're done. Sure. I was exposed to acapella through my son. My son was part of a, a barbershop quartet. They competed at the high school that I was the principal at. So I got to wow. follow the, 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 the men's barbershop quartet around to different competitions. They finished second in state. <laughs> uh, and so uh, for our for his spring break, um, I got to got to take him up to Buffalo, New York, upstate New York, right? And we went to a, a acapella competition. It was the only one during that time. That's the only reason I went to Buffalo, New York uh, during, my, during my spring break. And it snowed on us. But we got to hear 11 groups uh, sing a cappella. Now, he doesn't sing anymore, but I still listen. And uh, I've been on my little journey of a cappella ever since. And it's just a great memory to have as a father, but also to, to, to remember what our students can do given the opportunity. It's amazing. So, I mean, I have to tell you that I, um, my sons, when they were younger, when the movie first came out, gosh, help me out with the name of the movie. The acapella movie, Cliff. This is the one with Anna Kent. Pitch Anna perfect. Pitch, Pitch perfect. perfect. And I am like, a. I was born a redneck from Northern California. I, only, you know, in the last 20 years, I've become the sophisticated statesman that you see before you today. But I cried like a baby watching those girls sing that song. I, I fell in love with that show. Um, when my sons made fun of me for it. So there you go. It's funny how our kids turn us uh, in different directions than we thought. It's one of the great values of having a child. I, I made fun of soccer forever, and now there's nothing I wouldn't do to watch my own uh, son play soccer and intend to be flying down to closer to you, North Carolina, to watch him in a tournament in uh, just a few short weeks. So that's fantastic. And then my other, um, one of my other vices is bad food. Barbecue is one of them. You're in Georgia. It's got to be some good places down there. What is your, your, your food vice? Yeah, mine is nachos. So at the <laughs> end of a stressful night, you take anything and put it on tortilla chips, right? Yep. Any meat, anything, right? If it's lettuce, that's a salad. Right. If, if, <laughs> if it's meat, that's an entree. So um, I, I put I put meat and cheese on 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 chips and uh, call it a night. And that's uh, that's my that's my bad food. You're a, you're also in movies. You're a sci fi guy, I'm told. Yeah. So, you know, after the movie, uh, when I watch with my wife, that's not a go. No go on sci fi. Right? Yeah. <laughs> not a couple. That's not a couple's moment. No. But on my own. Um, you know, I love watching any kind of Star Trek, any kind of the new series that I love. And this is silly, but the Mandalorian. Yep. Uh, uh, that's that's one of my favorites. And, and then that's also got baby Star Yoda. Trek. Right. Is that yeah, that's what all the Yoda. fuss is about with the little tiny Yoda? Yeah. And then uh, all the Star Trek, Star Wars. Uh, yeah. Call, call it a day. I love it. I can't I cannot I cannot 
be on TV, buzzing through channels. If Star Wars is on, I am locked in to that universe. It's fantastic. Well, Cliff, thank you so much for being on the show. You are now off the clock. And we thank you for being on the clock as, as long as you were. And we really hope and, and wish you the best as you go forward, as you close out this school year. I imagine you have a lot of work to do getting ready for perhaps the summer work that you're going to do and, and then getting ready for hopefully what is a normalized school year uh, in, the, in the coming year. Thanks, Todd. Thanks for joining us. We really appreciate it. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode of On the Clock. If you want to learn more about the show, please visit www.strategosgroup.com. Please consider subscribing on your podcast streaming platform so you don't miss out on our next episode. And until next time, I'm Todd Dallas-Lamb, signing off.